We hold people accountable by being servant leaders ourselves. Amen? We hold people accountable by having a understanding of what is a servant leader and what isn't a servant leader. And as we have that understanding, we can challenge those around us by loving them the way Jesus would love them. That is our job. We have opinions. We have all kinds of things that are flowing around through our heads about where we are as a country, where we need to go, where we are as a city. There's a lot of things happening in our community. But I just want to challenge you to this one thing. It all comes together in a funnel that is your life right here where God has planted you. And God has planted you by rivers of living water, right? So that your fruit will be fruit, your fruit will multiply, and your leaf won't wither, and you'll be able to prosper right where you are. If God wanted you in Washington, D.C., he'd have moved you there. He wants you right here in Boulder City. And so God is moving among us, and we're learning and we're understanding what it is to be a servant leader, which is just a study in the life of Christ. But as we kick off this week two, or week three, Ted actually kicked off week one, as we kick off week three, understand this one thing most of all. Without the spirit of the living God living within you, it is impossible to be a true servant leader. You can try, you can strive all you want, but it's Jesus who wants his way within your heart. And that's what we teach here, that's what we believe here, and that's what we're contending for. So as we go through the Servant Leader series, look for an opportunity, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, to say, Jesus, this is the day, this is the moment that I surrender to you, and watch what he does in your life. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, we had an awesome opportunity yesterday. We took uh, some of the staff and volunteer staff to uh, what is called a ministry training clinic uh, here in Las Vegas. We have a divisional uh, superintendent and an assistant district supervisor that put on great events for us. And we had Wayne Cordero. I don't know if you know who Wayne Cordero is. He's written many books. He's a Foursquare royalty guy. And he came and he spoke to us yesterday and it was phenomenal. But I noticed one thing that I, I, I didn't want to talk about all the stuff that we learned. Uh, what I wanted to do was talk about an individual that maybe no one else saw. There was a gentleman, and he didn't have a name tag. And he had a suit coat. And he was at the door, and every time someone needed to use the restroom, he'd give you a, come on, open the door, close it quietly. He was walking around looking for people who needed help, looking for an opportunity to serve. And then when we broke for lunch, he walked with everybody and there was a giant line. How many know that Texas Station was not prepared for 300 people to go to the food court simultaneously? Right? So the poor two folks that were working at Baja Fresh were like, freaking out they're freaking out and we're like okay we got an hour hurry up hurry up and this guy was walking in between people excuse me excuse me excuse 
And I just watched him throughout the day. And he wasn't looking for any recognition. He wasn't looking to make a name for himself. He was only looking for one thing. How can I serve the people around me? And I watched him, and I watched him in awe. Because I believe that that's what God has called all of us to do. And I understand that some of us have been gifted with voices, and we, some of us talk way too much, and, and I understand that there are different callings for different people, but it's in the humility, the example of humility that this man set that really began to spark something in me as we're moving into this servant leader series and we're unpacking it even more. And so this morning, we're going to unpack two of the seven principles that we started last week. And those, first, those principles are this. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Number one, servant leaders humble themselves and wait for God to exalt them. Number two, servant leaders follow Jesus rather than seeking a position. And the two scripture references, the first one is in uh, Luke. So if you, if, you like, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 7. And we, we talked a little bit about it last week, um, but I wanted to expound on it a little bit this week. So let's pray. Father, would you let the living word of God permeate our hearts? Would you allow this word to speak to us, Lord God, as it is, as it is living Lord, your, your, your word claims, Lord, and is a double-edged sword piercing to our hearts. Lord, let us learn this morning from what you have to teach us. Jesus said, now he told a parable to those who were invited. He was invited to a, let's actually start in verse 1. Healing of a man on a Sabbath. One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So here Jesus goes to the very place where he may or may not be welcome. But he goes there intentionally. And behold, there was a man who had dropsy, some sort of disorder, I'm sure, of a foot or a hand. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, it's interesting that it says Jesus responded. They didn't ask a question. So, What that leads me to believe is that he knew what was in their heart. Let's see if he's going to heal this guy. We brought him here on purpose to test him. So Jesus responded, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But But they remained silent. Then he took him, healed him, and sent him away. And Jesus said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen to a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. See, here we have a bunch of guys who are trying to catch Jesus messing up in some sort of a religious rule type thing. And Jesus is like, look, guys, it's simple. It's simple. So then he goes on to say, verse 7, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So he noticed that when men came into the room, they selected certain places to sit. And they selected places of honor on their own. 
So now he's trying to teach them. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. He's trying to help them to not be embarrassed in the future, but teaching a lesson of humility. Give your place to this person and we will begin and we and will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit at the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. So when we go into a situation, what Jesus is saying is don't go with an expectation that you are going to be the focus. How many know that that's one of the biggest challenges of our life? We think that we are the center of the universe. And it's evidenced by how we react to things that go wrong. It's evidenced by how we react to the world around us. We're convinced that the world rotates perfectly around us. And we get so frustrated when things don't go our way. The second Example is in Mark chapter 10, 32 through 40. If you have your Bibles, turn to that, Mark. Matthew, Mark. Where are you at, Mark? Mark 10, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed at those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was happening to them, to him. Now listen carefully. This is important. This is Jesus speaking. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, this is me, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, but after three days he will rise. So here he is, listen. Walking with his most trusted guys, and he's saying, we're going to Jerusalem, and they're going to do all these horrible things to me. Now, which one of you in this room, walking with your best friend, who is sharing with you, I had a really difficult week, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, would stop and say, yeah, that's great. Um, Are you going to save me the head table at your wedding banquet next week? Or am I going to get invited to your house anytime soon? But that's exactly what these guys did. Here he's pouring out his heart, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Imagine Jesus' response. Oh, okay, right? What do you want for me? What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit at your right hand and on your left hand in your glory. A true servant leader follows Jesus and doesn't worry about position. As a child, and the, I just want to—I want to preface what I'm about to say and the things that I'm going to talk about. Some of it's going to be funny. Some of it's not going to be funny. Uh, but this is my story. I believe with all of my heart that if we are to communicate the true heart of God. As individuals, we've got to be transparent and vulnerable. It's not my job to have a high and lofty position and say, boy, you need to work harder to get to where I am. My job is to say this, 
God beat me up. And here's what happened. And by his grace, I am where I am. So as a child and a teenager, I had this overwhelming desire to be popular. Who, who didn't? Anybody? Just raise your hand if you didn't. If you didn't, that's cool. Yeah, some of you didn't. Carol, because you were beautiful, right? <laughs> I remember sitting home in the summer of my eighth grade year, getting ready to go into high school, and I got an uh, invitation in the mail to be a part of a sports team at the high school. Now, I didn't even realize that they had sports. I mean, I, obviously, you know they have sports, but it just wasn't in my mind. I was too busy playing Atari, right? So I gained a few pounds, right? Chubby little kid. I could kill anybody at Asteroids, and that's still a fact, BT-dubs. But I'm going into high school, and I'm like, hey, you know, there might be some opportunity here for me to do something different. Uh, the sport was water polo. Right. I see rolling eyes like, oh, my goodness. So I, I can't imagine what my dad must have thought when I said, Dad, Mom, I need some Speedos. <laughs> Not the best look for me at the time, right? But they bought them for me, and, the, and I, I got a, a cap, and here I am at practice, and I'm standing on the edge of the pool with no shirt and a belly and the Speedos rolling down, right? Right, they're rolling down, but I, I'm going to do this. Suck it in. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, around the side of the pool, I see the football team coming. I'm like, I didn't even know that was an option. Oh, I didn't know it was an option. I lasted about three weeks in water polo, almost drowned seven times. The guys sharpened their nails to a point, and they scratch you underneath the water. It was the most horrific sports thing I'd ever done in my life. So I quickly got out of that. And so I didn't want to be a part of that. And so here I am, freshman, I've quit sports, I have braces on, I'm overweight, and I'm just like, life. And remember, I've told the story before, just the previous year, there was a group of kids that formed the Anti-Dolby Club in eighth grade, remember? And so now I'm, I'm hanging out with these kids that I think that I want to be around, and then eventually they end up telling me, go find someone else. So I was desperately wanting to be popular. So the summer of my sophomore year, I went out for football. And, and I dropped a whole bunch of weight. I got into really good shape. I got really good looking, right? Brenda fell in love with that guy. Sorry, babe, I gave you the old bait and switch. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I really, really got, I got svelte. I got, I mean, I just, I look good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, honey, right? I walked into youth group, you're like, who's that good looking guy, right? So, so here, here's what happened. In the middle of that, I was in drama class, shocker, and um, we were invited to go down to Hollywood to be part of uh, the show Growing Pains. Do you guys remember the show Growing Pains? Right? So there was an episode of Growing Pains 
where uh, we, they're all at a school dance and everybody's dancing and whatnot. And um, I've alluded this before because my youth pastor got upset with me for being for dancing. Um, but we're we're at this filming, and two of the extras that were hired to be there didn't show up, and their parts were major dude number one and major dude number two. And so the director was looking around, and he said, you, and he pointed to me, and he pointed to another one of my friends, come over here. He said, you are hereby known as major dude number one, and you are hereby known as major dude number two. And I'm like, I'm a major dude. <laughs> like, that really got me all fired up. Like, wow, I'm a good-looking, thin, major dude. I'm going to be on TV. I I'm going to be on one of the most popular television shows around. And all my friends are going to see it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to solve so many of my problems. Or the girls are going to like me. They're going to be, oh, can I get your autograph? And all these different things. And so we're there, and, and we finish the filming. We get on the bus. And every single one of the kids, except for my friend at the time, started making fun of me. Oh, they shouldn't have picked you. You're stupid. You know, you're dumb. You look like an idiot and immediately it began to rob that joy but I knew I knew I'm gonna look really good on TV and the reason this got brought up is because we were watching it the other day somebody brought it up and we were watching it on my Amazon and I'm like oh my gosh it brings up so many memories so here we are I'm, I think maybe a month or two later the show's about to air and I'm like this is gonna be great I'm gonna the show's gonna air I don't remember what night it was on Monday Tuesday Wednesday doesn't matter I'm going to walk into school the next day and everybody's going to go, Kev, it's all your good pace, man. You're the major dude number one. Yeah. And I walk into school and I'm walking through the courtyard and the first thing I hear is somebody go, ah, you look so stupid on TV last night. And they just begin to tear me apart. I'm not saying these things so you'll feel sorry for me. I'm saying these things for you to understand that we live in a cruel, cruel world. And we try to find significance in so many other ways. And I was not immune to it, and you are not immune to it. You're trying to find significance in who you are right now. Teenagers, you're trying to find significance in what God is doing in your life. And it's only found in one place. Now, the next part of the story is difficult for me to share because it has to do with this place and the humbling that God had to do in me. I walked into Florence Avenue Foursquare Church. I be became a member of the church. Uh, they actually, back in those days, they had tithe numbers. Remember that, Dana? You were assigned a number, and you had, had envelopes that were corresponding to the week, and when you missed a week with your number on it, they would call you or, or send you, they wouldn't text you or email you, I don't know if that existed, they would call you, hi, we didn't get your, your tithe envelope this week, it was numbered. Yikes, right? But I was a full-fledged member of the church, dating Brenda, and I was excited about life, you know. I had a girlfriend, and things were going well. And so I met the pastor of the church. His name was Pastor Paul Risser, soon to be Dr. Paul Risser. And if you know anything about our movement, he eventually became the president of our denomination. So fast forward many years. I'm here. I'm the youth pastor. 
I'm excited about what God has for the future. We've had that interaction with the, with the former senior pastor talking about me possibly taking over one day. And so I'm downtown in Los Angeles on a missions trip. And I look up at the Glendale Federal Building and I think, I know the guy that, that's up there. So I'm going to call him and go up there and talk to him. Because he baptized me. And he knows me. So I called. And sure enough, he accepted my invitation. Come on up. I went up and went to his office. It's beautiful, the beautiful view of Los Angeles. And he's showing me around his office. And I began to say things like, one day, I'm going to be the pastor of the Boulder City Church. And God's really going to move. And he said, is that right? Is that right? He didn't rebuke me. He didn't correct me. He just knew I was prideful. I didn't even know that, that he and Marjorie were best friends until he showed up here about three months later. Oh, I was a prideful, prideful man. And I thought I had it all figured out. Christ in me, man, I'm going to change the world. And then I was at another function with another very famous, popular pastor now who was a youth pastor at the time, I think. I think maybe he was beginning to plant his church called The Rock. His name is Jerry Derman. He pastors a church of over 10,000 in Anaheim. And I believe at the time we were together that he was beginning to plant that church. And I was a youth pastor, and we were doing great things here. We had lots of youth, and so they picked me to come and be a part of this training thing. And we were in, I believe, Oklahoma City. We ended up going to Nashville, Oklahoma City. So we're in Nashville at another big four-square church, and we're having breakfast. And I began to share my vision for Christian Center Church for the future. This hurts me to say these things to you guys because I was rebelling against my pastor here's what I would do, and here's what I'm going to do, and here's my focus. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Pastor Jerry Derman looked up at me. He was sitting at a table. He looked up, to, up at me, and he said, Brother, that is not your church, and it is not your vision, and you need to settle down. And God sent me on a 10-year journey of frustration and anger and disappointment and wondering what is God's will for my life. And you've heard it before. I've told the story before. Before we came back here four years ago, I called his mom and I said, Marjorie, did God ever really say that I was supposed to be your replacement? And she said, no. No, if anybody, it's going to be my son. Yeah, no, I like that. I said, okay. Well, my dad is not doing well. He was getting ready to have some surgery, so we moved back with no expectations. Broken, 
and released. Why am I saying that to you? Because some of you have aspirations in life and you're running after it with all of your heart and you're saying, God, I want this, I want that, I want to see it my way and God is saying, wait. There is something that has to happen in you before you can ever get near the will that I have for you. There's something that I'm doing in you that if you don't get, I will use someone else. I believe with all my heart that if I had not learned those lessons and I would have come with the same heart that I had when I left 10 years ago, that someone else would be speaking to you right now. And I'm not saying that to toot a horn or pat my back. I'm just saying God broke me. And I recognized in the moment when God was breaking me. And I want to challenge you this morning to understand this. Recognize when God is breaking you. Recognize when God is pulling you back. Recognize when God is humbling you. Recognize when God wants to take you through something to make you into something you didn't even know you could be. This last year has been an amazing journey. And this man has no idea I was going to talk about him. Has been one of the most humble, willing servants I've ever known in ministry. He's vulnerable. I don't understand, Pastor. I don't get what we're doing. Help me understand it. Yet I'm still going to do it. Yes, let's do it. God can use you when you remove yourself from the equation. And that's what he wants from all of us. He wants us to be used of him. Think about it like this. Moses. Moses is, he finds out he's the prince of Egypt. He finds out his whole life has been a lie. He discovers who he really is. He has some incidences and he flees into the wilderness. He finds a wife, he finds a father-in-law, and he begins to tend sheep in the wilderness at the base of the mountain of God. And then God summons him. And you all know the story. He goes and he frees the people of Egypt And he brings them back to the mountain of God. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think for one second when he was tending a flock, herding, providing the needs for, knowing exactly where the dangers are in this area, that he thought for a second that one day he'd be back in the same place and except for sheep there'd be people? He had no idea. God was preparing him for something. So in your moment right now of suffering, in your moment of indecision, in your moment of confusion, in your moment of what you are going through right now, you have no idea, but God is preparing you for something that is far greater than you could ever imagine. 
And if you knew the beginning from the end like God does, would you find yourself complaining about your current circumstances? No. You would say, I'm just doing what God wants me to do. But if you knew the beginning from the end, you'd mess it up. God wants willing vessels who are ready to humble themselves and be used of him right where they are. Not people who will say, I want it this way. I want it that way. This is my will. This is the way things should be done. This is how I've envisioned it. This is the way it should be. And there's no question about it. He wants people who will humble themselves and say, God, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of what you are doing? In your work, how can I be a vessel of what you're doing in my world? And then when you're faithful, 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 really God? Faithful, faithful, here comes the fruitful. Well, it's not as big a fruit as I thought, God. Keep being faithful. I've done that already. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And then God will exalt. Only to humble you again. But I should be in this place. I should be in this position. I should have it by now. It's been so long. I'm getting into my 50s and 60s and 70s or whatever it may be. 40s, 30s, late 20s. And God says, I'm not in a hurry. Not in a hurry. So if you are, go ahead and run out ahead. Let me know how it goes. So what do we do? We run to the president of Foursquare. Look at me. We try to exalt ourselves in front of other pastors. Look at me. And all the while, God's like, all right, brother, let me know when you're done. You're not going to be humble on your own. Okay, here comes some humility. Here comes some anguish. Here comes some trouble. Here comes some issues. Oh, you're going to plant a church in Texas. That's not where I want you. Okay, boom, fail. Not going to work. Keep spinning your wheels. My way, not yours. Thy will, not my will. So what does that mean for us? That means for us is this. Trust that where you are is where God wants you right now. Right now in this moment, trust. With all of your heart, trust that where God has you right now is where he wants you for this moment. Trust. It all hinges on trust. Trust this moment. I'm saying it again. Trust this moment that God has you where he wants you, and that's where you belong. And then believe that God has more. But it's in his timing not yours. So we're trusting and we're believing. That's what it all hinges on. Trusting and believing. 
Would you say that with me? Trusting and believing and knowing that God has it all in his hands. The steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered by God. So why am I saying all of this? God wants to use each one of us to impact this community in a way that maybe we've never thought he could do. But it starts with us being humble and trusting that God wants to use each one of us in a unique way. Will you get on this journey with me? You call Christian Center Church your home? Will you explore this journey with me as we go down the road of what a servant leader is? As we begin to roll out some of the things that God wants to do here at Christian Center and through Christian Center and the ministries that are available? Would you explore this with me as we take on this next year of saying, okay, God, we've established something new, but now it's your opportunity to use us as a church, as a body, to impact this community. Would you be on that journey with me? Lift your hand if you're on that journey with me, amen? Father, we thank you so much for that. Lord, we give you all the glory. We ask in Jesus' name that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, Jesus, that Lord, right in this moment, right in this moment, they would say yes to you in their heart. They would speak it, say yes to Jesus. And if you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, would you fill out that card and put it in the prayer box? Let us know that you said yes to Jesus. But more, off, more, more than that, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment. We ask that you would spur us to know that there's something greater that you're doing. But Lord, give us contentment in our humility and in this moment that you have us right where you want us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf will not wither. And whatsoever you do, say it if you know it, it shall prosper. God bless you guys. Have the best week ever. We love you.